dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia. There it is. Here we are, Catholic stuff you should know. This and? Is, uh, <laughs> oh, this is Father Mike, Michael Rapp. And this is <laughs> the other Father Mike who you haven't heard from in three years. He's back. Two years. Who's back? Father Michael O'Loughlin. Back at it, called up Father Mike Rapp when I was in town. Was Back like, in Let's town. record. Just okay, like so this times. is not only Catholic stuff you should know. We're going to double post this. So I have a new podcast, which I think most of you know about, called What God Is Not. And it's a podcast with the most amazing nun in the whole world, Mother Natalia of Christ the Bridegroom Monastery. And, uh, and so, yeah, we're going to post this on What God Is Not as well, because um, honestly, I'm gone this week. Mother Natalia has been gone this week, and so we are behind. <laughs> so I'm taking advantage of this recording to post on What God Is Not as well. Here we go. So well, glory to you. Jesus Christ. Glory to Jesus Christ. The, um, it's an honor to be you know, connected to your side, too. Amen. Sister, uh, mother is a true celebrity these days. She is. So not only is she a celebrity because she's got this awesome podcast with God is not, but she's what doing some, so you know, she's, there's a film about her right now. There is. So there's a movie, a documentary film called Natalia. So, um, it's not out yet. It's in all of the festivals. So it's been kind of all over the world. It won awards in Moscow. It won awards in Nashville. Dude, that's crazy. I love it. It's kind of everywhere. Uh, Elizabeth Marzai is a woman, a filmmaker in Los Angeles where I live now. And she's uh, I'm the godfather to one of her kids. Yeah. And she's just an amazing, amazing filmmaker. She married a guy from Afghanistan. She, she learned Farsi, moved to Afghanistan. Whoa. And then both of them are filmmakers. So they've been making for probably 10, 15 years now, they've been making documentaries for BBC, for PBS, for all these uh, TV stations. But they were all, they've always been about Afghanistan. So tragically, they've always been sad. So they're oh, documentary filmmakers. Yeah. So she came up to me probably two years ago and said, hey, do you know any happy things that I can make a movie about? (laughs) And they were nominated for an Oscar for their most recent one, Three Songs of Benazir. So I said... Is that a happy one or is that Afghan No, that's sad, yeah. Yeah, It's an award winner. I'll check it out. It is, yeah. Say the name again. Um, Three Songs for Benazir. Okay. It's on Netflix. It's only 20 minutes long. It's a short documentary. It lost to Will Smith and whatever he was making that year. Yeah, so it was nominated, didn't win anything. He's a Scientology god. Is he? Uh, well, therefore, the, well, I'll stop there. There's another um, California. Yeah, well, yeah, that's plenty. <laughs> but happy things. It's, it, yeah, if you're going to go to anybody to find out about happy things, it's Olo. Oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that back. Yeah, I, I like that. And also, she's on, uh, she has a weekly reflection starting in February on uh, Pints with Aquinas on Matt Fradshill. Awesome. So he's a big fan of her, too. So, yeah, she's kind of going to be everywhere. She's wise and holy and fun. And she's, yeah, she's great. She so, is. the documentary is her life and discernment? It's the last year of her discernment and then her, and then her life profession. So, the whole ceremony of getting her hair cut off and the bishop oh, throwing the yeah. scissors and all these things, that's all in this documentary. So, but basically, it's, it's she leans in, in an artistic way to the fact that Mother Natalia is is beautiful, gorgeous, very highly educated. She's a, a engineering physics major. Mm-hmm. Um, she could have done anything with her life, and and she decided to join this monastery in Burton, Ohio, where you just kind of pray all day, love your sisters, and be hospitable to guests. And it's just it's such a astounding story to people in this world nowadays that yeah. it's that's why it's become so popular. 
are they is so it's it's kind of an a human intrigue piece as well as like a religious thing or is it mostly just like it's look at this person doing something really unusual and beautiful it really is it's a movie made for the secular world it, it's not like a, a catholic will watch it of course because we're intrigued by it but it's not surprising like have you ever heard of anderson pack the this the singer no r&b singer so anderson pack's this guy he's 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 an amazing drummer and r&b singer so i i've loved him for a long time if you look up his uh, I, I take back don't look it up there's cussing um but he has he has yeah. a tiny desk concert and he's just he's just an r&b singer very much in the world and he um i ran into him at a restaurant and i've like this guy for a while and so oh, i cool. run him in this restaurant and um, my friend who knew i liked him just brought some tequila tequila shots over and she's like hey let's have shots with anderson pack and i was like okay so i, I shake his hand he's already a few drinks in so um he probably doesn't remember me but i shake his hand and and my friend's like hey this is father michael he's a priest and anderson was so funny he like starts kind of making fun of you by trying to make the sign of the cross but he doesn't know how to make the sign of the cross so he's like just kind of touching various places on his body in imitation of the sign of the cross <laughs> and then he calls me back so i go back to my seat he calls me back and he goes hey i want to film a music video in your church and I was like, I was like, dude, you can't, you cuss. I'm like, I can't have yeah. somebody cussing in church. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not going to cuss, whatever. And then I said, well, what's it about? And he goes, get this. He's like, there's this woman and she wants to become a nun, but she falls in love with a guy. And then he yeah. gives me this look like this is mind blowing. I'm like, brother, that happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. like, so for, for, that words, novel. for Catholics, they're going to watch this and go, yeah, that's normal discernment. But for those who are not Catholics, their minds are going to be blown yeah. by this woman who could do anything deciding to become a nun. Yeah, and you wonder where the story's going to go. It's like, you know, she wises up and sees that, <laughs> that religious life is silly when you should follow your emotions and heart and everything. But so did he end up doing it? No. No. Uh, he he never got back to me cuz again he was he was a few drinks in and but actually he hangs out in the same restaurant I do all the time. So Well, he, God bless you, man. Up. I hope that uh you you kind of figure that out. And it's cool that you're engaging the the wonders of an intrigue of you know, religious life and stuff. The fact that he's thinking about it is cool because it's provocative and interesting. And I think, yeah, all things religious. If he would have seen your church, it would have been a must. Yeah. Because you Byzantines are wild. Yeah, we do well with that. Well, God bless you, Mother Natalia. You're super cool. I miss you. You too, Mikey. You know? Um, What about, um, so you're into, I have a bunch of questions about all things Byzantine. And you cover all this with your podcast. So uh, shamelessly, I have to admit that I watched some, uh, listened to some of the podcasts um, once upon a time. Oh, okay. And, but I don't listen to this podcast. I don't listen to any other Catholic podcast. So I, I do audiobooks. Yeah. And I do want to say real quick for our listeners, for what God is not listeners, like you are OG podcaster. You are one of the the two founders of Catholic stuff you, you should know. Me? Yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah, you, right. you you're you, people weren't like Catholics weren't podcasting back when you did this. So That's true. like I mean the, the only reason why I have a podcast is because of you and Father John Apple who started this so long ago invited me on what now what six seven years ago wow. to come on to Catholic stuff, but but you you guys had this and it was I know you and John fight over who start, who had the idea, but like oh, yeah. I just want like for my podcast listeners, like Father Mike Rapp was one of the the original Catholic hey. podcasters. Well, in two thousand ten, yeah, that's right, J ten. So January two thousand ten was was Pope Benedict's prayer intention for the use of media. Correct. It was to evangelize the digital world. Okay. Hmm. With the use of media. And you took it very seriously, thank God. Yeah, I mean, it was, 
Yeah, it was providential. The timing was right. We were both nearing the end of seminary and had a lot of just wild, um, I don't know, so, so much education where you know you're going to use this and, and that for teaching, you know, um, preparation for sacraments and just anything, you know, using it in, in the pulpit. And then there was tons of random stuff that it's like, this is never going to, you know, but it's interesting. So mm-hmm. we thought, well, let's try this out. We ran into stuff you should know. And I think John's brother was listening to that and kind of showed him. And it was like such a cool concept of you can do this in your basement and people, you know, whoever wants to can listen to it. It's not like a live show or whatever. And so we thought, yeah, let's throw some weird facts out to, uh, you know, inform people about Catholic stuff. You're you're the king of weird facts, I have to say. I do love weird facts, man. (laughs) So it was perfect. It was great. And I don't know who came up with it. I mean, we started it. I'll give him the credit, uh, but it's really (laughs) mine, actually, probably. Uh, But like 600 episodes later, here we are. And I was thinking about this. I think you probably have done more episodes than I have. I mean, I, yeah. we started it and then I got ordained, went off to the Western slope of Colorado for two years, wasn't involved. You got brought in some new folks. You came on, I w- went out to Rome and that was what, five and a half years. Yeah. Johnny came out eventually and we started recording again, but I think you've probably done more than I have. It's probably close for, it was, well, I mean, obviously we put out a weekly one back then, but it was also nice because Goble and I, we lived in the house together, like. Oh, we, that's we, right. we, so yeah. we had the studio was literally in my bedroom for whatever the year I was there. And so Goble and I would just, was that Joan of Arc or at Cabrini? Joan of Arc. Yeah. So Joan of Arc. And then we would, so that's the parish in Arvada. And, and I had this base, base room, apart, basement apartment. And so we had the studio down there. And so we would just like have a nightcap and we'd have like the conversation would be amazing. And we just go walk downstairs and hit record. And that's how we like rolling. many of our episodes were just like, we're, we're already, we're having a drink. We're talking. We need to try this with the world. Let's do it. And it was awesome. I love it, man. Well, it, it is really great to see you. I come uh, driving back, went for a ride with uh, Father Sean Conroy, who's on the show now, and um, came back driving up to uh, the house where we're doing this recording. And Olo is there. He's like the coolest guy in the world by far. <laughs> and he's, he's just like chilling on the hood of a Jeep, doing some emails or whatever, and looking cool. And uh, I... I thought to myself, like, okay, man, I, I miss this guy because he's awesome and um, I really love him and I wish he was around. But I also need mentoring and cool and I'm getting old and not cool. So uh, I was like, oh, man, I got I to gotta, like rent this guy oh. or get out to California. Please, anytime. Hang. You know what's funny is that is that my you guys so for my listeners you guys call me Olo. So if you hear Olo, that that's me because um, my last name is Lachlan. But but it's funny because. Um, like the reason I was out there. So I'm borrowing a Jeep from a friend and my name is Olo, but like FOMO is huge for me. Like Olo with the FOMO, uh, like fear missing out. FOMO. So I'm inside the house here and I'm working. And then all of a sudden I realize I look out and I realize the sunset's coming. So I'm like, I don't want to miss out. I got to do my emails. I don't want to miss out on the sunset. So I walk outside to just stare at the sunset and I was like neglecting emails. I'm like, well, maybe I can do both. I look and there's my Jeep sitting there. And I'm like, literally during World War II, and I think even during Vietnam, like there were so many masses said on Jeeps, yeah. like Jeeps are, are kind of where it's at. Like you could do anything. So I knew that most cars, I can't sit on the hood of a car, but it's Jeeps, it's a metal. And yeah. so I just sat up there and like, it was the perfect seat. And I was like, Jeeps are amazing. And I could watch the sunset, work on my emails and then you pull up. And, it's rugged. Yeah. 
Awesome, man. Well, I I do want to talk about sunset eventually. Oh, okay. Yeah, for a topic. Oh, and I see. Uh, but I also have like Byzantine questions. Sure. So um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Father Michael, Father Olo, with the FOMO, is uh, a Ruthenian Catholic priest. And they're, how would you describe it? It's a Byzantine branch. Yeah. Um, Byzantine, I, I don't want to just like go way back into the history of Byzantium, but he's basically tied to Constantinople yep. and um, comes from a tradition that um, is referred to as Eastern mm-hmm. and um, has a, a real different culture and aesthetic than the Roman Catholic Church. And um, that most of us, probably most of those who are listening, yeah. uh, belong to. Um, but Catholic, in union with the Pope and the rest of the world, there's all these different rites. I think 21 rites. In, there's, uh, there's, so there's technically six rites and 23. So there's six rites and 24 different Catholic churches. Okay. Yeah, Within to, to, the, to use the ultra uber correct terminology. Okay. Yeah. That's helpful. Yeah, within the Catholic community. Catholic means universal. Yep. It includes all these different groups. A lot of them are um, connected with some ethnic group. Mm-hmm. So uh, Father Olo's stuff is Ruthenian. Yeah. You might have to describe what that is. I still don't understand. So that. the word Ruthenian is just the, the Latinization of the word Rusin. So, uh, so yeah. our people, which is actually the original where the word Russian came from. Yeah, Rus. So yeah. we are for Rus. So we are, we are, we call our place Car- we call ourselves Carpatha Rus. And so the Carpatha, the Carpathian mountains that span between Ukraine, Slovakia, Romania, Hungary, Poland, that mountain range, like we're the hillbillies of the Byzantine world. So we're, uh, we're Carpatha Rus and we're from that grass? region. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Slavic bluegrass. That'd be a thing. Um, and so that, that's where our people come from. So, uh, the the way that the traditions developed in the mountains was was quite different than the way they developed in like the cities in the metropolitan areas. Mm. So you have the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church, which is more like city folk. We are the Carpathian Rusin or Ruthenian Byzantine Catholics, so we're more like the the mountainous folk, the hillbillies um, oh, up there. Cool. So basically, our like we our chant is called Prostopinia. So it's basically just. Imagine going to a, I'm sorry, people can be offended by this. I apologize. I actually, I don't apologize, but I imagine going to like a little, a little hillbilly town and you go to the bar, to the pub and people are just singing together. Like they're all singing the same melodies. You go to the city church and they're all singing in beautiful harmonies and it's nicely ordered. Our, our church is more like everybody sings the melody. They sing at the top of their lungs. It's, it's very, so our divine liturgy is Different churches have different traditions, but that's basically what separates mm. us from like the Ukrainians or the Russians. Um, oh. If you experience the divine liturgy, is the singing. Well, it's kind of fitting for an Irishman too <laughs> to end true. up there, right? <laughs> like pub church, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> singing, dancing, raucous, a little fighting. Do they ever break down into fighting? <laughs> Only the kids, <laughs> yeah, because right. we don't have pews traditionally in our churches. So, like for for a child, a church with no pews is like a massive dance floor. And we we yeah. do call the inside of our churches. It's like Eden. So you, you're supposed to be able to kind of wander around during the liturgy and just enjoy paradise as people are singing and praying. You come up for the gospel, come up for the Eucharist. But yeah, kids kids are doing it the way it should be. So yeah, there are a few fights, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. A little wrestling. The, um, the Garden of Eden, when it's depicted in kind of, uh, what, Northern European art, okay, always has the forbidden fruit to be the apple. Uh, is there a roost fruit 
that is shows up in art or you got a lot of iconography, but that I don't, are there paintings question. of Eden or something? Probably. And I'm guessing it's kind of the same thing. We, that's a good question. I, I've, I've seen icons of Adam and Eve in the garden. I'm going to Google it right now. Um, I think Eden, like biblically for this historian was probably, it's fertile crescent. So it's maybe like Middle Eastern, maybe, maybe Persian, the word paradise is Persian, mm. but then, uh, I think it would be something more like a fig or a pomegranate. Hmm. Figs, to me, no offense, Middle Easterns, uh, are kind of boring. You know, not as tempting as a pomegranate. <laughs> but the, they're, you know, whatever. They're, 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 I think, like, the sweetness and the honey of the fig is probably worth it. Well, not worth it. Not worth, what, the fall of humanity. All right. I have opened now the top three icons that come up when I Google... Um, icon Adam and Eve, and they definitely look they are they are a red apple sized fruit okay. in the tree. There you <laughs> so, go. Yeah. Oh, it's, I, I guess you know the Carpathian Mountains are probably that same whatever yeah. climate. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we, it's funny because in the Carpathian Mountains, we don't for we call it instead of Palm Sunday, we call it Flowery Sunday because we didn't have palm trees there. So people used pussy willows. And oh. so they would grow pussy. So what we have nowadays, when we can buy both at, at, at um, Trader Joe's, you know, we get both palms uh. and pussy willows, but you put them together. But so we call it Flowery Sunday because people will basically use whatever they have in their region to welcome uh. the victory of Christ entering the, te- uh, the uh, Jerusalem. So yeah, this we call it Flowery Sunday. So you can kind of use whatever you want. Whatever Isn't you have. that kind of messy? Oh yeah, Those it's horribly messy. Horribly messy. I actually <laughs> tell the kids. So after the liturgy on Flowery Sunday, I will tell the kids that I will pray one Jesus prayer for each little piece of pussy will they bring me yes. for them. So like, there's like hundreds, and I'm like, all right, I got my work cut out for me this week. So, but they love it. There's, um, yeah. What's the ceremony look like? Do you come in procession? Do you ride a donkey? <laughs> Is there, you know, are they waving it around or what? They're definitely waving it around. So in our tradition, you. You process around the church three times at the very beginning, and the, the, they're blessed, and then you process around the church, and then people hold them for the entire liturgy, which I'm guessing they do in the Roman Mass as well, right? Most of the Catholics, well, we use them, like officially, you're supposed to hold it at the beginning. Okay. And then most Catholics are braiding them into oh, that's crosses right. okay. during the church. That's right. That's not a like the <laughs> ancient tradition. Prescribed, yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of caught on, I guess. Yeah, so we, we hold both, and generally nowadays we have both palms and pussy willows, and so people just hold them in their hands. And so even I, I'll hold like a palm and a pussy willow in my hand for the entire liturgy, unless oh. I'm like reading the gospel. I'll hold it for the gospel, like the consecration, of course I don't, but things like that. So yeah. you basically are holding it for the entire liturgy, and then when you get home, you put it behind an icon in your home. It's so like on your icon cool. corner. Yeah, I love it. Okay, more traditions. Um, well, well, let me ask you, have you been to the Carpathian Mountains? I have twice. Yeah, cool. Awesome. And... Do you, let's see, we have Eucharistic adoration that's become very important and has been, you know, in the tradition of the church and, um, or of the Roman rite. There's a different, you know, kind of substance of the, the bread that you use and a different way of distributing communion. So you don't have like the circle wafer. Correct. And that's convenient for us to do Eucharistic adoration with a monstrance and, mm. I wondered, what does that look like in your church? Or is there a tradition of that at all? Or sure. is there, do you come and what's the tabernacle? Do you have a tabernacle? I, I'm so ignorant. No. I feel like 
dumb right now. I love these questions. And I'm glad you're asking these because I know the answer. I was afraid you were going to come up with all these like historical questions. I'd have no idea (laughs) that I looked up. No, so basically, um, and again, I I don't want to cause a lot of trouble here, but um, we we Byzantines rarely change. And that is really, really good. But there's, so there's things like um, we used leavened bread. And I believe a listener from either podcast, you can look this up and correct me. Um, I believe in the early church, there was kind of debate, do you use leavened or unleavened bread? Because of course the Passover was unleavened bread, right. but but a, a seder, uh, the uh, the Sunday Shabbat meals were leavened bread because it was just what you were eating. Yeah. So the, there can be, you can kind of use both. I believe that the church began by generally using just because of default because it was a normal Shabbat meal, leavened bread, and then the Roman Church started using unleavened because to which I love this to emphasize haste. Like, yep. like unleavened yep. bread, you don't have the time, so it's it's just like the the Passover, which I love because I, I'm an evangelizer. So I love the yeah. you take this, take the grace of the body of Christ right now and go out to the world. So right, and so just a piece of the background, right? So the plagues in Egypt are um, sort of setting the stage for God to set free the uh, the Jews, the Israelites from Egypt, and God says um, to Moses, "You tell the people." to um, get rid of the leaven, to have unleavened bread so that they can leave in haste when the, um, the Passover night comes yeah. and head out into the desert. So the, yeah, that's, I guess, part of the tradition and makes sense for this, the symbolism. I am aware of a controversy between the East and the West mm. over leaven or unleavened. Yes. And the, um, I don't know before that, you know, kind of like historically yeah. what the earliest churches would have used. But I maybe given the, the kind of hold on to all the traditions liturgically in the East, maybe that was the original. I'm not sure how that works, but we, you know, the sacraments are valid in either. Exactly. It's the Eucharist yeah. in either. And, and, and listen to your bishop, obey your bishop, like whatever yeah. the bishop tells you to do. So, like, oh, yeah, I should, I should qualify that within the Roman Rite. Validity does depend on yeah. um, unleavened bread. So I don't want any priests out there going, no, 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 Exactly. Yeah, please don't blame it on me when you're at the throne of God. Um, you had invalid passes. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, so basically we use leavened bread nowadays. We say it's because Christ rose. So we raise the bread, um, in the early church. And I'm actually want to, I want to return to this in my parish, but every single family brought a loaf of bread that they would cook and they would, yeah. they would, they would bake it every week and they would put a stamp on the top that said, Jesus Christus Nica, which is Jesus Christ conquers. And basically they would bring it to the church before liturgy and the deacon would choose the five most blemishless Whoa. loaves of bread. Cause right. The lamb that was without yeah. blemish. And then the deacon would take those five since the five loaves and the two fish and he would bring those in and then the priest would then cut those up to prepare them at the beginning of the liturgy. Now I, this blew my mind, Mikey, so I'm guessing it's going to blow yours too, since you're a scripture scholar. So, um, what we do is we have, we, we take the, the, what we call the prosphora and you, you, prepare before the divine liturgy, the priest and the deacon prepare it to be received. So they just cut off the crust and they do, they do all these prayers, these beautiful, beautiful prayers. I won't go into all, all the details. I think I did an episode Prospera on Catholic stuff. is a loaf or a... It's a, just a loaf of bread. Exactly. Okay. So there's five loaves of bread, five prosphora loaves. Thank you for that question. Clarifying. 
And so basically you cut off the edges and you cut off pieces that you're not going to consecrate. So you consecrate mm. a piece of the, of these five loaves, especially one that you call the lamb. This is another cool thing. So you call it the lamb because the lamb of God, once it's prepared, but when you cut off a smaller piece that you receive, it's called the coal, C-O-A-L, yeah. because it's from the prophet that took the coal out, the angel touched it and it says, behold, this which has touched your lips shall take away your iniquities and cleanse oh. you of all of your sins. So the priest says that because the Eucharist becomes the coal that forgives our wow. sins. And so you, you call the little particle of leavened bread that has become the body of Christ the coal. But anyway, so... But you don't say those words when you... I say distribute. it after you've received. Oh, wow. So I, I say at the end, behold, this which says touch your lips after everybody's received. Oh, I cool. do say those words, yeah. Um, so basically the, the crust is cut off and then if you cannot receive the Eucharist, you receive part of the crust. You receive part of the blessed bread that was not consecrated. So listen to this. Mm-hmm. I, this blew my mind when I heard it recently. So we have in the story, so like which saint, if I asked you this, which saint has a dog's head in ancient iconography? Do you know? The dog's head, His Dominic. Human's head, human body, dog head. Oh, human body, dog human head. Human dog head, dog oh, head. Yeah. No, Saint Christopher. Okay. So Saint Christopher had a dog head, and the the I, I've told this story so many times. So I'm, if those of you that that have heard me on Christophanic or my it's podcast, kind of you've heard this before. Head. He has a dog's head. Just look at it like icon Christopher dog's head. So as the story goes, Christopher. So in the ancient Is it church, a corgi. <laughs> I don't think corgis existed back okay, then. Okay. Kick me, dogs. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I will edit that out. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so Christopher was a was a, um, a Canaanite, right? So he was a, as so basically. This is what I've heard from Jonathan Bajot, but but when iconography portrayed a foreigner, you portrayed them with a human body and a dog's head because the dog's mm-hmm. head it just symbolized the the unknown of it. So the dog's head is mm-hmm. an unrecognizable thing. So it's they speak a different language, they look different, they have different customs. So Christopher was supposedly according to the golden legend was this massive giant of a man. And he was, he was a Canaanite and he, he decided one day, he says like, I'm the strongest man in the world. So he says, I'm going to find someone who's strong. I'm only going to serve someone stronger than me. So he goes and asks around, he goes, who's the strongest man in the world. And the people he talked to says, well, this King is, so he goes to that King and he says, I will serve you. I'm massive. I will fight your battles. I will serve you. If you tell me who you're afraid of. And this king says, the only person I'm afraid of is the devil. And so St. Christopher goes to serve the devil. And he goes to the devil and he says, I will serve you if you tell me who you're afraid of. And finally he gets out of the devil. The devil says, I'm only afraid of the cross. So he goes to serve the cross and he finds a holy man and he goes, how do I serve the cross? And the holy man says, you need to learn how to pray. And Christopher, who thinks he can do everything, goes off. He tries to pray and he comes back and he goes, I thought I could do everything. I'm having trouble praying. So then the holy man says, okay, then go and fast. And he goes, okay. So he leaves. He tries fasting. He comes back. I'm sorry, I can't fast. I, I thought I could do everything. And the holy man says, okay, you're a big man. Go give alms. Stand at the side of the river. And you you ferry people across the river since okay. you're big and strong. You've heard this say, part of the story. Yeah, he's in the, he's in the river in exactly. most of our stuff. So that's where he encounters Christ. He encounters Christ, or Christ encounters him at the one thing he can do. He fails at everything else, but Christ yeah. encounters him at the one thing he can do. So the dog's head then, Canaanite, then you think about the story in the Bible. This is where I'm bringing you in, right? The Canaanite woman who asked for Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus says, I will not 
take the food intended for the children of God, the faithful, and give exactly. it to the dogs. Syrophoenician, so it yeah. may, so it may have been, it may have just been this, like you're a foreigner, because Jesus is saying this is for the food. You're a foreigner, and the woman responds and says, "Well, even foreigners, even dogs, um, eat the scraps that fall from the master's table." Yeah. So what do we Byzantines do? We give the crust. Oh. loaded the crumbs from the table to anybody who comes. Wow. And so we're welcoming you into the children of God. We're welcoming you into the Eucharist. But but we're also saying in the meantime, before you're a member, we're going to give you the, literally the crumbs from what became the Eucharist. Because it's the same loaves of bread, but it's just, it wasn't consecrated. Wow. Isn't that cool? That's super cool. Yeah. I love the like elaborated story of St. Christopher because yeah. I had no idea. And I that's really cool. I only heard that recently. And then just the concept of the scraps. Yeah. Like I had, is there a different time when you'd come up for the scraps? At the very, very end. Wow. So basically the, the catechumens, those who were not baptized would be kicked out um, before the creed. And then they would come back into the narthex, the entryway, and then the, the subdeacons would bring these crumbs back to them, the, the crust bring back to them in the narthex before. So they wouldn't walk into the church. They would stand back there and they'd receive this bread as, as like bread for the journey and uh, like, you know, the scraps yeah, that fall from like the a table. Blessing, exactly. Yeah. A little blessing that, that as, as, you, as you make your way fully into the church. Wow. Yeah. That's really, I like that. That's really fascinating. And um, as an etymologist, yes. there's something of um, that sounds similar from Canaanite, kana, and dog, yes. a canine, or yeah, it's both in Greek and Latin. Amen. There so, you go. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, okay, so that's, what about adoration? Tell me about adoration. So basically, um, the, the 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 split between the east and the west happened about the the change of the millennium. It, it took hundreds of years on either end, but basically we we use the date ten fifty four. So right. so anything and even since we are so geographically diverse, I mean Rome was in Rome, Constantinople was Constantinople. You have Jerusalem, Antioch, all these these hubs of Christianity. So um, the Eucharistic basically. Eucharistic adoration was always a thing. We've always believed that it was, of course, the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus Christ. But but using it as an object of adoration really caught on after the Reformation because, of course, the Protestants denied yeah. that it was our Lord. So just like we Byzantines, we only covered our churches with icons. We had icons, but we only covered our churches with them after the iconoclasm. So basically, when when we in the in the eighth and ninth centuries, when many people were saying you can't have icons because they're idols, they're graven images. So as soon as the councils, and then a hundred years later, the triumph of of icons in the again the eighth and ninth centuries, then we started covering our churches with them because. Many people said we can't have them. We said, no, so we can, we're going to use it. So really veneration of the mother of God and the Eucharistic adoration of the West happened after the Protestants denied it. So that's obviously after we Byzantines tragically split off and became Orthodox. We came back into the Catholic fold about that time, shortly after the Reformation, a couple hundred years afterwards. Um, So we never had the same concept, but one of the reasons why we don't have nowadays, we don't have exposition we of course adore the eucharist we we this jesus christ yeah, of course right, we adore right, jesus right. christ but we don't have exposition As like a uh, yeah formal devotion exactly we don't have exposition of the blessed sacrament for multiple reasons but one of them is because we very much treasure the use of all five senses so 
every time we worship, you use incense so you can smell it. You have icons everywhere that you can see. You, we actually add hot water to the Eucharist so that it tastes warm because mm. the body and blood of a living person is warm. So you actually oh, taste warm. Wow, dude, you got it, that wild stuff. I it love is. It. It's beautiful. So, so every one of the five senses we engage. And so basically, when, we, when we're looking at something, for, for prayer, it's going to be an icon because the icon is a window into heaven. It looks like this, it symbolizes and looks like all the things it portrays. So if we're going to look at something, we're going to look at that. And when we, we actually hide the Eucharist mm-hmm. behind a veil, usually during the consecration, because it's confusing to someone to see what looks like bread, even though it's not. And so we've kind of mm-hmm. leaned into that confusion and said, we're not going to look at it because it, it looks it doesn't look like what it is. And basically when you look at the piece of bread right before you receive it, uh, sorry, heresy, when you look at the body of Christ <laughs> right before you receive <laughs> yeah. it, it looks like bread. And so what do you do with bread? You eat it. And so many have said, look, if you hold up the Eucharist to me, and say, look, the body of Christ. I go, oh my gosh, that's our Lord. Let me receive him. Oh, no, no, he's only look at. Then we're going to put him back in the tabernacle. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, it's hard for someone who's so sensory to say, if, if it's, if Jesus is in the form of bread, then I should be receiving him, mm. not looking at him and then having him be put away. Now, obviously, this is not the same in the Western mindset. Yeah, or yeah, kind of mindset okay. You do that's receive okay. him as well. Yeah, yeah, traditions, customs. And like 75% of good holy priests nowadays in the Roman Catholic Church found their vocation in, a, in the Adoration Chapel. Yeah. It's obviously something incredibly powerful. Yeah, and it's a way of pondering the mystery. Yeah, um, yeah. The... The words for sacrament in the New Testament and in Greek is uh, mysterion. Yes. You know, so there's something mysterious that mm. my mind goes to that with the, the veil or like yes. keeping the Eucharist hidden. Yeah. And then um, in Latin, it was sacramentum, right? Mm. So there's, uh, it's like the, the sacred things. Mm. And um, so there's different traditions. I think they're beautiful. I love that diversity. Yeah. And the, um, the reverence is no less in one Correct. or the other. Yeah. And there's different ways of pondering that mystery and um, sort of maintaining that reverence. And, and I think it keeps us humble because when you, when you have two very valid traditions or even the fact that, like you said, it's invalid matter if it's leavened in the Roman Catholic Church and, and if it's unleavened in the Byzantine Catholic Church. So that keeps us humble to say that God is bigger than these rules, but we need to follow them because God has guided his church. And and you have to have structure. You need kind of law. You need the discipline thing, but they may be different from church to church and they're still both beautiful and valid and to be followed in obedience. Yeah. And there's, and it's subtleties. Yeah. You know, it's got to be bread and wine. That's Correct. like yeah. absolute and That's what universal. Jesus used to know. The, Tradition of, yeah, Eucharistic adoration came up post-Reformation, mm-hmm. right, in, in the way that it exists now. But there was always, um, or at least back to Thomas Aquinas, who wrote this beautiful Corpus Christi hymn with the mm-hmm. Pontum Ergo, there was a special devotion, and this is where exposition and um, Eucharistic veneration comes from, of procession on Corpus Christi. Mm-hmm. So that was like, yeah, the, the, the body of Christ leading you know, the people of God um, around the church yeah. and out into the world. And so that's largely where that came from. Mm. It's just like a continuous form mm. of the same um, procession Beautiful. or exposition. Okay. But th- that in its form wouldn't have been, that would be more like following rather than necessarily the, like looking upon oh, I see. the person of Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Yeah. Um, 
I think. That could be like fact check it all and okay. everything. So you don't have a tabernacle. We do. Everything is consumed. No, no, we do have a tabernacle. And the, the main reason for the tabernacle is twofold. We have a tabernacle um, because um, we want it to be available for the sick. So if, right. if a priest has a sick person, they can run and go grab it out of the tabernacle. Now, some people in the Eastern Christian churches would say the tabernacles are only necessary in parishes. So like if you have a cathedral or a, or a seminary, you would not have the Eucharist present. What about a monastery? Monastery, because some would say you don't have it in the monastery, but most monasteries do. Okay. Um, but basically another reason to have it, that we have it is because our, our holy table within the altar. So our, our iconostas symbolizes the old veil in the Old Testament temple that was torn in two. So mm-hmm. the iconostas, be, rather than being a separation between God and man, has become a meeting place between God and man. Mm. So our- So when he says iconostasis, this is like a kind of a, a wall of sorts. They call it a screen of icons. A screen, yeah. yeah, built around the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. So, and there's icons along that screen. And uh, and then like kind of a doorway of icons exactly. in the center, but it'll be closed for a lot of the. Maybe you can picture for you know these Romans, the uh, something like an altar rail. Once upon a mm-hmm. time, there was something were the of same a visual thing. barrier yeah. um, at the edge of the sanctuary. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I got to go on for days and days, so I won't about where icons are, why they're there. But but basically, the icon screen that divides the altar area from where the people are symbolizes the meeting place between heaven and earth, and that's where halos come from. So mm-hmm. halos, a circle around someone's head, is like a hole cut in heaven that you're Whoa. looking down through. So that's why halos are always gold on the inside, because if you're looking at great grandma up in heaven, you see a blue sky, and then she cuts a hole in heaven to look through. There's a halo around her head. And then that's oh, gold behind man. it because the gold, the gold the, of heaven, the glory of heaven behind her. Interesting. So what, what the, the holy table is like now, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I have to put a little, you know, warning <laughs> note on some of this stuff is that the, somehow these Eastern folk have come up with symbolism for everything. <laughs> I feel like sometimes it's a little bit arbitrary. It's always beautiful. Yes. But I'm kind of like, well, I, I think of the halo as like the glory of the Christian who's anointed. Mm. And, you know, especially in heaven, you like see a the, crown almost? the glow of their life mm. and the crown. It's, it's a symbol of their glory. But I will um, bet you a beer that that came later. Then the, the then hole the, in then heaven. the iconostas, yeah. Let's go, dog. I'm in for a beer. Let's I don't know do who's going to fact check us, wait but yeah. To research that. But it's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So basically, it, behind, behind the iconostas, so that symbolizes heaven and that symbolizes the Old Testament Holy of Holies. We even call it the Holy of Holies. You have the, the holy table, the altar, that is a cube because that it, it's a scale model of the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. And so in the Ark of the Covenant was the manna, the rod of Aaron, the blossom, and the commandment. So on our altar, we have the baptized form of those three things. Mm. So instead of the manna, we have the Eucharist, the bread mm-hmm. from heaven. Instead of the 10 commandments, the written word of God, we have the gospel book. Mm. Instead of the rod of Aaron, the blossom, the piece of dead wood that brought forth life to symbolize priesthood, we have the hand cross. Oh. So the cross, a piece of dead wood brought us life to symbolize the priesthood. Oh, that's cool. And so those three things are always on our altars. So nowadays, so that's why we always have the Eucharist present in our parishes for those two reasons, for the sick practically, but spiritually because this is the baptized, Christianized Holy of Holies. Whoa. I love it, man. And um, okay, this is, I got to move it along. Sure. And I want to know about, I do a lot of marriage prep at Mm. the cathedral 
And I'm not sure I'm terribly good at it. I certainly love it because I think there's something very beautiful about walking with people in that time of life mm-hmm. and uh, watching the grace of God in their life in, during this very formative time. And there's special graces. God is just wor- at work big time during that time. One of the things that I struggle with, I don't know what your system of marriage prep is. Like we have a, a, a very clear program. Everybody's going to follow the same sort of um expectations within Mm. the diocese parish to parish it's a little bit different it's kind of customized but there's expectations that are you know i don't know like five different things that have to be done and um but the the piece that i'm wondering in particular is how do you encourage people who are preparing for marriage especially those who have not prayed together to start praying together Mm. like what does that look like i feel like a lot of our couples are intimidated by that. Yeah. Not only are they like reticent to share their prayer life, and a lot of people don't really have like a regular talk to God, mm. but also people feel so self-conscious because it's such an intimate and yeah. important thing. But that's the whole point is yeah. like, you're going to be two will become one and you're going to be united in the depth of, you know, the deepest things. One of those is the vulnerability of prayer. Yeah like feeling stupid in your in the yeah. way that you're praying or feeling like am I praying for the right things or you know is my relationship with God too childish or formal or mm-hmm. whatever it is right so how do you encourage people to start praying together so the first thing I do is encourage them in their private prayer life so though you need to we all need to get better at talking to Jesus so develop your own private prayer life and then listen to how you talk to our Lord when you pray. And so you can like our divine liturgy has litanies in it that have prayer intentions. You can copy that. Obviously our Lord gives us the, our father, we have the Psalms. I'll get to that in a moment. So we have these other prayers, but basically, first of all, before you can pray with your spouse, you need to pray with your, you need to pray yourself. So Mm -hmm. develop that and then use that similar language. So what I say is when you get home, when you're together in the evening, go over your day. So each of you share your day with your spouse when before you're married, whatever in marriage prep, share your day and then then f- finish that off with prayer. And so what you do is you take the way that you've talked to Jesus in your private prayer life, and then you talk to Jesus about your spouse's day. Hmm. So in other words, basically you say, you know, um, you know, thank you, Lord, for a good conversation during lunch for my wife. Thank you, Lord, that she got to work on time. Thank you. The traffic wasn't that bad. And then, you know, please heal the heart of this, you know, what coworker who's bad at her, whatever. In other words, you, you, it's twofold. You're actually praying for your spouse. You're praying for the day, but you're also showing your spouse that you listened. You're showing them that you know their day, you care about their day and you're bringing that to our Lord and then make sure you thank our Lord for your spouse. And you should be doing that, of course, in your private prayer anyway. And then regarding, and when, once you've done that, then pray the Psalms, but pray them antiphonally. So just pick one Ooh, Psalm and man. each of you say a verse and then the next person says the verse. So you don't, like we're intimidated by the, by the, in, by the intimacy or the, our ineloquence in talking to Jesus. Yeah. But if you start with the Psalms, you yeah, just read like it, but do it antiphonally. I love it. I love it. Those yeah. are things that I do. Well, yeah, that's great. That's, that sounds just right. And um, it's, something that I can start to encourage with like engaging the scriptures and yeah. the poetry of the Psalms and yeah. the beauty of that. So I'll have to build the kind of a list of, you know, do you have any insights for me? Greatest hits to practice, please. You know, the only thing I, I mean, I really am st- struggling to sort of figure this out is, um, 
to uh, express gratitude, mm. you know, like just make that a part. It's so Amen. simple. It's something that people like feel comfortable with and is just a beautiful way to meditate and to relate to God. Mm. It's a beautiful form of prayer just to say thank you for things that happened that day. And it can be as deep as like graces, the way that you saw God in, acting in your, in your life and present yeah. in your life that day. But even more simply, just things that you're grateful for and saying, God, you blessed me with this, you know, beautiful, this, this life. And, yeah. and similarly, similarly to the, uh, the listening, it's like um, you get to hear your, you know, spouse's life or your yeah. fiance's life. Um, someone recommended that uh, you have like little meditations or read a daily gospel. Mm -hmm. So you're all both kind of praying over the same thing, yeah. meditating over the same thing during a day. So there's lots of, you know, possibilities, but I love that. Thank you. This man is a wise, wise man and very personal. <laughs> I've been know. doing this for a long time. <laughs> yeah, you've been at it for a while, old man. Exactly. 18 years now. 18 years is of it? priest. Yeah. Congratulations, Thank man. You. 18 years of priest. Uh, Father Olo, if you want to find him, is in um, Anaheim? Uh, Los Angeles. Los Sherman Angeles. Oaks. Yeah. Okay, so um, don't defect from the Roman rite. <laughs> too many have because of this guy's influence and the beauty of the... But uh, you we can have check a second it out. Parish. So we have a second parish up in Santa Paula. So we just bought a building in Santa Paula last year and we have a little little tiny rundown church in the rundown yeah, neighborhood that we love. And uh, we've been at it for a year. We're going to fix it up. We're going to make it beautiful. It's not quite beautiful yet, but the people are amazing yeah. in Santa Paula. Yeah. Well, God bless you all over there. I kind Thank of you. poke fun, but I love yeah. it, love it, love it, man. <laughs> last one is I've, I'm thinking about uh, the circle of life. <laughs> the, uh, the fall has hit. Mm. And you have the change of colors and something like the sunset, but there's something built into nature about beauty, the beauty of death mm. and the beauty of shutting down. And I have not, I mean, there's not like a, a long uh, meditation or some sort of wisdom about it, but I have been thinking about um, how to pray the pray nature I often think about that, mm -hmm. but one kind of idea I, w I wanted to throw out there was just to use this time and watching the, you know, the, the, the leaves fall as a reminder that all of these vices that we deal with and are frustrated by in the moral life mm. are being worked out, but they're being worked out often enough leaf by leaf mm. and it can be slow progress and slow change. But just as an encouragement that if you're living in faith, Jesus compared his life with him to um, like the garden. Yeah. You know, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he talks about pruning and these kinds of things that if you're living in grace, then these things are being worked out and you're growing. You know, we talk about sanctifying grace and it's like, it's like growth, but it happens in seasons and, these uh so to trust in god that these things are happening mm. and then also to pray during this time um, what lord would you have die in my life or what would i like to see go and can you help me lord to let go of these things whether it's um, attachments from the past resentments um, sin sinful behavior vices that we're kind of attached to and to really use this as a time to offer up that uh 
those kind of attachments. Let them die. Let things die and become aware of, you know, who we are that way and how we want to relate to God. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's kind of intense to think on death, but there's like a, an encouragement from nature that says, this is beautiful, you know, come. And then there, of course you can do just like a reflection on the people, people you love who are dying and and dead. And, uh, the church directs our attention to that, especially with like all saints and all souls and these kinds of things. But, um, yeah, I've been thinking about the beauty of death. You got any thoughts on the circle of life? The sun comes up every day. It's beautiful. New life is beautiful. The sun goes down every day and uh, death is somehow beautiful. Even there's this kind of paradox where God hates death. It's the enemy of God, the yeah. last enemy of God to be conquered. And that's not just like the, the, the moment that our lights shut out, but that means suffering, all of yeah. the things that lead to like attacking our bodies and souls and yeah, death. It means such a big like word, but there's also, so the paradox is that, and at the same time, there's something very beautiful about death where we're offering people the opportunity to exercise charity. Yeah. Like we have to be taken care of. There's a humility mm. that comes from that. Mm-hmm. It says it's not just me and my power, but I have to let people love me and mm. take care of me. There's also just a quieting of life and a slowing down that's um, resigned, but also peaceful. And so there's so much beauty around, around death. Yeah. Now, my lecture has finished. Okay. <laughs> It's it's so so Franciscan of you to see see God working in the changing of the seasons. I love that because I went to a Franciscan university. But um, I, I think that the hope that's in that we always want to look for hope and good news. Mm-hmm. I really like how you describe that because what I have found in my own life and in the, in the life of my spiritual children is that we expect growth in virtue to be very noticeable and immediate. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times somebody will say in confession. I did it and I will never do it again. I, you will not see me back here with the same sin. I've decided, I've, I've made the intentional, right. like, I will, and then like, they're back, like, they're like, I am so, so I'm, like, I'm like, brother, I could have told you. Yeah, be yeah. Back. We're all back again. So and we, you should have that conviction. Yes, yeah, you good. should. It's exactly. beautiful to have that conviction. Very that true. I, I don't want Very this. true. I don't want yeah. this. By the grace of God, I can move forward. But don't let the devil turn that into shame. Mm-hmm. And what I like about your image with the, with the leaves falling off the tree, which rarely, rarely happens in California, but I, oh, I, I appreciate no. you guys get that. No, no, it's like, <laughs> we're, we, just have, we have perfect weather year round. No, just kidding. Um, but, but so that when, when you, when you, have you the get leaves, a sunset, we do oh, beautiful sunsets. Absolutely beautiful. Um, so you're right. So, so, but even the leaves falling off the tree is that what I have found is that when you see growth in virtue, you rarely notice it as it's happening. What happens mm-hmm. is you kind of look back. This is why I encourage people to journal because you'll look back at your journal from a year or two ago and you'll all of a sudden realize like the growth has been so slow and steady, but I am doing better two, five, 10 years into it. Mm-hmm. And the leaves fell off the tree gradually, almost in a way that was unnoticed, but I noticed it's like someone with their own child. They don't notice their own child growing and getting, but the aunt does who only sees them once a month. So there's something about the, when the leaves falling off the tree, you all of a sudden realize you don't see every leaf fall off, but you see with full foliage and you see without any. So in the spiritual life, the daily grind of our spiritual life is like just one leaf at a time. Kill kill the vices, kill a, a little instance, every evil thought you have, you know, uh, give it to Christ, mm. give it to Christ, give it to Christ, give it to Christ. And it, it'll, it'll not seem like you're growing a lot, but 
Christ works in the, he gives us the gift of time. So he works in these little steps and we just like knock that one, let that one leaf die of your vice. And then you'll look in and all of a sudden half the leaves are gone and you'll say, mm-hmm. thank God, thank God. Um, the other thing that, about death that that I, I've learned and I preach this all the time too, is that at the moment of death, not like we have that much of a choice, but just say, take a different example. If Jesus came back right now for the second coming, and if like, you know, he comes back, the one thing you want to make sure you do and that you've built up in your life of faith is you just, in a very simple childlike way, you run to him. If you are, if you are the best of saints and you see Jesus come again, you're going to run to him. Mm -hmm. But if you're the worst of sinners, what do you do when he comes back? Run to run him, to him. Yeah. because he's he's the one that can fix you. So when we die, that there's we have this fear of death, and Christ wants to conquer it. But when we die, we're presented with Christ, and what whatever purgation we need, whatever is going on, just prepare your heart that at the moment of death, whether it's in a tragic car accident um, that you didn't uh, foresee, or in in a long bout of something in the hospital, just prepare yourself that when you see him, whether that's a second coming or a death, just prepare yourself through prayer, through fasting, through almsgiving, through imaginative prayer, just that you run to him. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. how much sin you have. And that's why death can be frightening, but it's also provides us with that opportunity to, yeah. to seek him out and to run to him. Yeah. This is the, yeah, this is the gate, the tunnel. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, as a preview for the next episode that you're not on, <laughs> <laughs> I'll pray for you. Um, I am wondering, has anyone ever confessed? I think this is a, like a cool thought. Has anyone ever confessed? I, this, this month I did not weep enough. I was not sad enough because the, Jesus says, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And there's such tragedy in the world. They just yeah. declared war in Israel. Yeah. And it made me so sad. And I realized, this is okay. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't have to be bubbly all the time as a Christian. Mm-hmm. It's like, Jesus said, weep. People need, people need tragedy and sorrow and suffering to be wept over. Yeah. And there are some saints that are just like, you know, criers. Yeah. <laughs> that's their yeah. whole, you know, um, act of charity. Yeah. And I, that's, that's new, but it's kind of fit into this meditation on, mm-hmm. um, the loss of things with the leaves falling. So yeah. I'm going to talk more about nice. sadness, but anybody ever confess that I didn't weep enough this? <laughs> no, but I think that's very true. And obviously the beatitude of course, blessed are those who mourn. That's right. And I think that there's that you need to talk to your confessor, or spiritual doctor about this because, Sometimes we're too exposed to the things of the world and 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 then the the false weeping in a sense can be anxiety ridden and mm-hmm. stressful. So we need to say, I'm weeping about the right thing. So in our Byzantine church, we have what's called chotki or prayer beads. And the, these are ancient, ancient prayer beads, but they oftentimes will have a tassel hanging off them. I cut mine off because it gets in the way and I'm, I'm a sinner. But, um, yeah, but the holy people have a tassel and that tassel uh, later on became known as as a, a, used to wipe away your tears. Oh. And it's, you wipe away your tears for your sins and the sins of the world. Mm. So it's very much, it's a virtue to be weeping for your own sins and for the sins of the world. Mm. So it is definitely a virtue. So I'm going to take that to confession next time. Absolutely. Um, And it's weeping for the right things. I mean, you have to ask God. It's like, if you're feeling sorry for yourself, or you're just a sad sap and making everybody (laughs) like a Debbie Downer, not cool. True. (laughs) All right. Well, um, you got any shout outs? Ooh. 
Um, let me think. I've run into so many people recently who listen to Catholic stuff and What God Is Not, my new, my new podcast, What God Is Not, but I can't, none of them are coming to mind specifically. Sorry, if you've told me in the past few weeks that you listen to Catholic stuff and What God Is Not. Oh, Julie Berry. Julie Berry. There you go. Um, Julie Berry, uh, if you still listen to Catholic stuff, she she is a friend from when I was a kid and she just... Uh, I don't think I've responded, sorry, Julie, on Facebook Messenger. And she asked me a question. Then she said, I miss your podcast. And I was like, does she not know I have a new one? Oh, but anyway, oh, so anyway if you listen to Catholic stuff, you should know, she Julie. Does. Yeah, now she does. <laughs> so I have a, we'll call what God is not, but yeah, shout out to Julie Berry. Um, yeah, and uh, everybody else who knows me from this or whatever, God bless you. Yeah, right on. Sorry, that's all. Um, I don't know if I well maybe uh, to Father Joel Barstead. Yes, you know amen. he's he kind of took um, Olo's place in uh, this ministry yeah. to the Ruthenian Church in Denver. Yeah, and he was a professor of mine in seminary and just a great wise and holy man yeah. and loved dearly. So you you make me think of him. I don't know if did you, if you got a chance to visit. I did. I yeah. had. I had a lunch with him, and then we've had two liturgies together on this trip as there well. There you go. So. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and his wife, Leslie, Pani Leslie. Pani, we say for like a priest wife, we call her Pani. Is that uh, like Father, Father Joel, Pani Leslie? And, and, uh, and cool. Leslie's, Leslie is, is, I think he would say, like they make such a good ministry team in the parish. Oh, we we didn't together the church have the married, you can be ordained if you're a married man in our church. And so Father Joel's one of those men, I'm not, I'm celibate, but he's one of those men who was married, then got ordained a priest, and his wife is amazing. She is so helpful in the parish. Yeah. I had a delightful dinner with them. We honored um, Terry and um, Susan Selnerite. Well, mm. Terry Wright and Susan, Susan Selnerite are uh, professors of philosophy from nice. the seminary who retired. And um, so he was there, or, or they, they were both there. Pani, yes. okay. uh, the, the, the dinner was great, and it was just so good to catch up with him. And I felt like it was an honor to him as well mm. as a professor of the seminary and um, just cool man i'm yeah. getting older and i'm getting like kind of nostalgic and sentimental oh. you, you look exactly the same oh really and i only said that too, well, dude. I, look at my beard bro i, I have so much gray? gray well if i had mine going you'd yeah. see that too <laughs> it's only gone gray in the past four years since i left denver <laughs> it's great to see you man on the on the sentimental note yeah i've really missed you and um happy to see you thanks Amen. for making the time dude. great to be back for a bit okay god bless you everybody be well Right into the show or whatever. I don't. Rem- I don't remember all the, the list of the emails and whatever social medias. So, um, what God is not, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know what else. Catholic stuff you should know. What's yeah. the name of your parish? Uh, St. Mary's, the Proto Cathedral of St. Mary in Sherman Oaks. And we are so new in Santa Paula, we don't have a name yet. So just oh, okay. come. So just email email our parish just go to byzantine la is our website byzantinela.com you'll see the information for both communities and pitch like a bunch of names for the <laughs> the new community yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> but don't don't be disappointed when they're not <laughs> right. all right god bless you everybody